0: The Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham Dramatized for Radio by Lance Dan Part one
1: When a day that you happen to know is Wednesday starts off by sounding like Sunday, there is something seriously wrong somewhere. I felt that from the moment I woke up, but I couldn't be sure. I waited and I listened hard. A distant clock struck what sounded to me like eight. Soon another clock began on a loud, decisive note. Then I knew things weren't right. The clock is the most sacred thing in a hospital. Every morning at exactly three minutes past seven, someone would come and help me wash and eat. And today, Wednesday the 8th of May, I was particularly anxious to get it over with because that was the day they were going to take off my bandages. I groped around for the help button and pushed long and hard, just to let the staff know what I thought of their poor timekeeping. But no one came. The more I listened, the more wrong the day was sounding. Outside, there was no traffic, no crowds hurrying to work. A nasty... Empty feeling began to crawl up inside me. I was tempted to take off my bandages, but I was scared that I wouldn't do it properly, that the treatment wouldn't have worked. A week's complete blindness can do a lot to frighten you out of taking chances with your sight. The way I came to miss the end of the world, well, the end of the world I had known for 30 years, was sheer accident. Today was definitely Wednesday, because the previous day had been a remarkable one, and I could swear that no more than a single night had passed since then. On Tuesday the 7th of May, the Earth's orbit passed through a cloud of comet debris, or at least that's what they said. Nobody had ever heard a word about this comet or its debris until it happened. All that I actually know of the occasion is that I had to spend the evening in my bed listening to eyewitness accounts of what was constantly claimed to be the most remarkable celestial spectacle on record.
2: Millions of people around the world have witnessed an astrological phenomenon that has never been seen before. Countries have come to a standstill as crowds gathered outside to watch the progress of the spectacular comet that lit up the night skies. Now it's our time.
3: Americans are gearing up for the greatest free fireworks display ever. People are already partying in the streets, and over in California, a group have cleared a park and laid down markers for what they describe as a UFO landing
4: pad. The whole of London seems to be outside watching this fantastic display. People are, are holding up children. Uh, and then there's a man over there who's climbed a lamppost to get above the crowds. And I can hardly see a car moving. This is, is a night no one will ever forget. There's
5: been some reports of problems with satellite communications and shortwave transmissions. But most people are just enjoying the fantastic... God's sake.
2: Mr. Mason, it's such a shame you can't see it. The sky's full of bright green shooting stars. Everybody's out watching them. I've never seen anything like it.
1: So everyone keeps saying.
2: We've drawn back the curtains in the ward so that they can all see it. If only you didn't have those bandages, you'd have a wonderful view of it from here. I
1: know.
2: Still, even if you had your bandages off today, I don't think they'd have let you watch it. You'll have to take things gently at first. Oh! That was a brilliant one! It made the whole room look green. They say it's not dangerous, but sometimes they're so bright that it it hurts a bit to look at it.
1: Had the whole hospital, all of London in fact, made such a night of it that they're not recovered yet? I was getting impatient. Something I decided had to be done about it. I want some breakfast. Room 48. Sweat began to prickle my forehead under the bandages. Those voices didn't sound normal to me. The bottom line was this. Was I more scared of endangering my sight by taking off the bandages or of staying in the dark with my fears growing every minute? I took my time about removing them, and I had the sense and self-control to draw the blind over the window before I started to unhook the pins and peel back the layers of crepe. I looked around the room in the dimness, and I felt a relief that I never felt before. My eyes were as good as ever. Even so, the first thing I did after checking that the room was empty was to sit down and give myself time for my eyes to get used to the light. It's not easy thinking back to how limited we were in those days. We knew enough to get by in our daily lives, but that's all. If anything went wrong, it was always someone else's job to pick up the pieces. That's why I couldn't believe that somebody, somewhere in the hospital, wouldn't be taking care of the situation. But still, no one came. I stepped out cautiously. When I first looked along the corridor, I thought it was empty, and then I saw a man wearing a black jacket and striped trousers with a white cotton coat over them. I thought he must be a doctor, but he was crouching against the wall and feeling his way along. Who's there? Ah, the doctor. I'm Bill Mason and I'm from room 48 and I have been waiting Can for Can you see? Yes, it's it's great. Ah. Nobody came to take the bandages off,
6: so I did it myself. Please, take me to my office. I've got to make a call. The name's on the door. Dr. Soames. All right. Where are we now? How the hell should I know? You've got eyes, haven't you? Used them. Can't you see I'm blind?
1: There was nothing to show that he was blind. His eyes were wide open and staring at me. I took his arm and we found the way to his office. We met no one on the way. Yeah, that the phone's on the desk, just just here.
0: I know.
6: I know. The line's dead. Oh, it's useless. Oh.
1: Should I get someone?
6: Which way am I facing? Where's the damn window? It's right behind you.
1: He turned and stepped towards it, both hands extended. He felt the sill and the sides carefully and stepped back a pace. Before I realized what he was doing, he had launched himself at it and crashed through. We were on the fifth floor.
5: Oh, nurse! Is that you?
1: No, I'm not the nurse. When did you last see her? I need help.
7: You're not the only one. Haven't seen a soul all morning. It's bloody ridiculous. I don't know what's come over the place today. Can you open the curtains? There's no point in sitting in the dark. Okay.
1: I pulled back the curtains on the nearest window and let in a shaft of bright sunlight. It was a surgical ward with about ten patients all bedridden.
0: Stop
5: mucking about and draw those curtains, will you?
1: I turned and looked at the man who spoke. He had very blue eyes. He was sitting up in bed facing me, and the light. His eyes seemed to be gazing into my own. So did his neighbours and the next man's. I stared back at them for a few moments, not understanding, and then... I... it. They, they seem to be stuck. I'll... Uh, I'll go and find someone who can sort them out. I felt nauseous. Surely all those men couldn't be blind, just like the doctor. The lift wasn't working, so I started down the stairs. On the next floor, I almost fell over a man who lay across my path. Further down lay someone who had fallen over him and cracked his head on the steps when he landed. Both were dead. I moved on until I could look down into the hospital's marble entrance hall. It was a picture of hell that Dante would have been proud of. patients in their hospital nightclothes, doctors, nurses, cleaners, everyone who could walk seemed to have made their way here. A tightly packed mob of men and women milled slowly and helplessly around. Now and then one would fall and there was little chance that the shuffling bodies would let them get up again. And all the while that terrible sound. I thought that I should do something to help. Lead them out into the street perhaps. But there was no way I could get them through that crowd, and even if I managed to, what then? Maybe I'm not telling this part too well. The whole thing was so unexpected, so shocking, that for a long time I tried to forget what I saw that day. It was like a nightmare from which I was desperately trying to wake myself. I left, taking another exit from the hospital, and went into the nearest pub. I needed a drink as much as I needed some explanation for this madness. Bloody gin. Hey, uh, hey, you're the landlord. I want a drink. Who are you? I'm from the hospital. I want a
7: drink. Can you see? Yes. And then find me a bottle of whiskey, Doc. Sure. That's gin you got there. Oh, is it? Bloody
1: gin. Here. Yeah. You'll get drunk.
7: Mm. I am drunk and I've got to get drunker do you know what I'm blind everybody's blind as a bat except you why aren't you blind as a bat I don't know it's that bloody comet that's what did it green lights in the sky now everyone's blind as a bat did you see the comet no (laughs) there you are proves it you didn't see him you aren't blind everyone else is come on everyone can't be blind it's obvious listen can you hear anything no ambulances no police nothing
1: i left the pub and walked along the main road There were one or two abandoned cars and lorries, but the only signs of life were a few people cautiously groping their way along shop fronts. I was too stunned by what had happened to really engage with anything or anyone. I felt drawn towards the centre of London, where there were more people on the streets. Mostly, they were prowling around restlessly. Occasionally, a stumble would bring a burst of swearing and futile rage. Two men were fighting over a can of paint. A child who could see helped her parents to take food from a shop window. A party of drunks lurched across the street in a bizarre conga. And in the middle of it all, a preacher stood on a box. His sightless eyes turned towards the heavens, throwing his arms about and crying out that the day of judgment had arrived.
7: And hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of his wrath.
1: My urge to help these people was countered by an instinct that told me to keep clear. They were already fast losing control. I also felt a strange sense of guilt at being able to see while they couldn't. A steady tapping caught my attention. A man, neatly dressed and wearing dark glasses, was tapping his way along the street with a white cane. As he approached me, he stopped, listening alertly.
5: It's all right come on well stand still will you i've already bumped into god knows how many fools today uh, careful don't trip on the curb oh, don't worry about me i've been feeling my way around for years what on earth has happened why is it so quiet i know it
1: isn't night i can feel the sunlight what's gone wrong with everything there was a comet last night so i heard it seems that everyone who saw it can't see at least for the while
5: well well
1: seems we're all equals <laughs>
5: They'll be saving their pity for themselves now. Well, thank you.
8: Good luck.
1: Yes, good luck. I at last began to admit that what I was seeing was real and final. There'll be no going back, ever. It was the end of everything I'd known. My way of life, my plans and ambitions had all been wiped away. And yet, in spite of the enormity of what had happened, I felt a strange sense of release. All the old problems no longer mattered. Of course, there will be new ones, new dangers, new challenges. But there will be no one telling me what to do. I will be in charge of my own destiny. It was a fresh start. The feeling... Didn't last long.
6: Oh, come on! Get up! Get up!
1: A young woman was crouched on the ground while a burly man laid into her with a thin brass rod. As I came closer, I saw why she didn't run away. Her hands were tied together behind her back and tethered to the man's left wrist. Let her go! More what? I can see, and I don't want to hurt you.
6: She's mine! I found her! Look, just put the rope down. Uh. Whoever you are, just shut off. If you get one step closer, I'll wring your neck.
1: I grabbed the brass rod and hit him hard across the shoulder, then slapped him on the side of the head to confuse him as I felt in my pocket for a knife. I quickly cut the cord and helped the woman to her feet.
2: Come here! Come here! You can see! Yes,
1: I definitely can see.
2: Thank God for that. I thought I was the only one.
1: We stopped running, and I looked at her properly for the first time. She was blonde and good looking beneath the smudges and smears on her face.
3: Oh, I bet I look a mess.
1: That's the least of your worries.
3: Yes. I'm Gisela. Gisela Platon.
1: Bill. Bill Mason.
3: Well, Bill Mason, thank you for being my knight in shining armor back there. Oh,
1: it was nothing. How did you end up tied to that guy, anyway? <sighs>
3: where to begin I went to bed yesterday afternoon with a major hangover from a party the night before I unplugged the phone pulled up the sheets and slept like a log I'm staying with my father at the moment and he stumbled into my room this morning saying that he'd gone blind and I must get the doctor for him the phone wasn't working there was no electricity, radio or TV they hadn't even delivered the papers which seemed to upset him more than anything
1: so he's still at home
3: that's where i left him what three hours ago i drove into town but the car ran out of petrol pretty soon and it all seemed very strange there was no traffic and people were groping their way along the streets
2: i began to realize what was going on i can't believe what's happened
1: i know it's horrific
3: (laughs) i started walking because i thought there was always a chance that the doctor was okay that's when he got me he heard me close the car door and came towards me asking for help because he'd gone blind. I had a feeling he was trouble. and Normally I would have stayed well away, but I was just too confused. Let my guard down. He grabbed me, tripped me up and tied my wrists together. He told me that from then on I was to be his eyes and had to find him food and drink. He only started beating me like that because he was drunk. I would probably have got away in the end. I'd have killed him or something. But you can't turn into a murderer all at once. At least I can't. And I'm sure under normal circumstances he'd never have behaved like that.
1: Yes. Some people have already grasped that their only chance of survival is to get hold of someone you can see. Oh. I wonder how many of us have escaped. Not many, by the looks of it. It's every man, or every person, for themselves now.
3: Oh. Look the ducks are okay it's
1: just another day to them
3: they haven't got a worry have they they just want to be fed
1: go on Shoo! we haven't got anything for you
3: who could have believed that it could all fall apart so easily
1: we decided to go and get gisella's father and found a car with the keys still in the ignition all the way heads turned to us hopefully as we drove towards them and faces fell as we went past. I told solo what had happened to me. I'm doing research into Triffids. Or I was. A week ago I got stung by one of them and ended up in the hospital.
3: Triffids? Look, there's some over there in Regent's Park. What are they doing there?
1: There's some in the zoo. They keep their stings, Doc, so they're not dangerous.
3: None of this is going to make much difference to them, is it?
1: Triffid, a name destined to be associated with pain, fear, and misery. These days, when everyone knows only too well what a triffid looks like, it's difficult to remember how odd the first ones look to us. The mixture of several species, part orchid, part sunflower, part Venus flytrap, it could grow up to ten feet tall, and inside the stem a long, tightly-wrapped tendril like the close-rolled frond of a fern. No one knew exactly where the tripods came from or how they spread all over the world. Some were suspicious of their origins. My theory is that they were the result of some secret genetic modification experiments. In those days, we tampered with nature with little regard for what the long-term consequences could be. And who knows exactly what went on in government laboratories and research facilities. For a while, they were just another strange-looking plant found mostly in foreign climates. Then the global corporations discovered that they produced a unique oil that was to revolutionise the food and manufacturing industries. Slowly, steadily, the Triffids took root all over the world, and public interest in them waned until a scientist called Walter Lucknor took some footage of them walking in a remote part of Malaysia.
6: Mr. Lucknow, you don't seriously expect us to believe that triffids can walk, do you? Yes, indeed. The scientific
7: community is very excited about it. As you can see from my film, they move rather like a man on crutches. They have three, what you might call, legs, short stumps which propel them along the ground. And how fast can they go? Uh, We're in the early stages of our research, but that's just one of the things we're looking at right now. If they can walk, who knows what else they can do?
1: Walking plants produced hysteria in the press for a while and caught my youthful imagination... Then I found one growing at the bottom of our garden.
8: Dad, this is the plant that can walk. I'm going to dig the roots up and see if it'll walk. Ow!
1: I became something of a local celebrity as the first person in England to be stung by a triffid. Luckily, it wasn't fully grown, so I suffered no more than a splitting headache and an unpleasant red wheel across my face. The triffid was not so lucky. My father quickly disposed of it on the bonfire.
5: There have been reports of triffid attacks in Africa, South America, and now here in England. Well, on the line is triffid expert Walter Lucknor. Mr Lucknor, how dangerous are these plants?
7: Uh, Well, you have to remember that triffids are carnivorous plants. And like other carnivorous plants, they feed off decomposed meat. (laughs) Insects or whatever. Unlike most other species, however... They have a venomous sting which can lash out and discharge enough poison into the bloodstream to kill a man. take away the sting and they're perfectly harmless.
5: You're saying that they feed on decomposing human flesh?
7: We have no evidence of that at present, but in theory it's possible. We just have to be a bit careful with them,
1: that's all. There was mild panic and disgust that led to Triffids everywhere having their stings removed. Then it became fashionable to have a safely docked triffid in the garden. Meanwhile, special triffid guns were developed that shot spinning discs made of thin steel that could slice off a triffid stem and its sting. Huge triffid farms were set up all over the world to get their precious oil. It was Walter who discovered that the oil was of much better quality if the triffid kept its sting. My experiences as a boy started an early fascination with Triffids, and Walter and his film made a big impression on me. Many years later, I was lucky enough to find myself working with him, researching Triffids on a farm just outside London. Walter could talk about Triffids for hours, advancing theories that were sometimes wild, but not impossible. He had become quite certain that they talked by rattling three little finger-like sticks against the base of the stem. You don't really believe they're talking to each other. Well,
7: why not? But it's ridiculous, plants talking. So much more ridiculous than plants walking. What do they patter about? (laughs) That's what I want to know. But what
1: makes you think it's deliberate?
7: They may not have a brain, but there's certainly intelligence there, of a kind. Have you noticed that when they attack, they almost always go for the head? If you look at the statistics of casualties, most people have been stung across the eyes and blinded. It's very significant. Of what? Of the fact that they know what they're doing. Let's suppose they possess intelligence. That leaves us with only one major advantage over them. Sight. We can see, and they can't. Take away our vision, and the superiority is gone. In fact, we're at a major disadvantage, because they are adapted to a sightless existence, and we aren't. But even if that's true, they can't do things. There's not much muscle in that sting <laughs> True, but why do they need muscles? They have very simple needs. They can get the nourishment direct from the soil or from insects and bits of raw meat. What does the Triffid have to do? Just sting us, wait a few days, and then begin to assimilate us. In fact, if it were a choice for survival between a Triffid and a blind man, I know which I'd put my money on.
1: One day, Walter and I were closely examining some specimens that were showing unusual deviations. We were wearing masks and heavy padding for protection, but suddenly a sting slashed at my face with such force that drops of poison sprayed into my eyes. If Walter hadn't acted quickly to administer the antidote and get me to hospital, I would have lost my sight for sure. Walter was the one person I knew who was really beginning to understand the Triffids. He could have helped us. Had he survived? Following the Triffid attack, I lay in hospital for a week, my eyes, and indeed my whole head, wrapped in bandages. It could easily have happened the week before, In which case I'd not be here at all.
3: Come on in.
8: Dad! Dad! Are you there?
1: Seems to be empty. He wouldn't have gone out, would he? I hope not.
3: I tried to garden.
5: Dad! Gisela! Stop! What?
1: Inside now! (gasps)
5: My God, what the hell
1: was that? A triffid stood swaying in the middle of the garden. At its base lay the body of an elderly man, chest downwards with his head to one side. A bright red wheel was streaked across his face. I knew what that meant. Is that your father?
3: Yes. We've got to no, get... No,
1: we can't. No with the triffid there. Please. Maybe we can find another way to get to him. Come on. Go out to the car. I whipped around to find a trifid towering only a few feet behind me. In one automatic movement, I covered my eyes and the sting smacked against my hands. But nothing happened. No poison. No pain. Instinctively, I leapt at the plant, knocking it to the ground and crushing the stem and its deadly sting.
3: Are you okay? It hit you in the face.
1: I know. I know.
3: Then why aren't you Dead. T-
1: I don't know. I ought to be. Let me just... There. L- look, its poison sacks are empty. If they'd been full or even part full, I've never seen anything like it. Must have done, well, a hell of a lot of stinging in the last few hours.
3: So if you're OK, then surely Dad will still be alive. We can go back and get him. No.
1: I'm sorry, Gisella. But it would have been very quick.
3: Oh, Dad.
1: In some ways, it's better than being blinded like the others.
3: I know. I don't think he could have coped with a world that he couldn't see. But what were they doing here? It was like they were waiting for us. I know. Well, what shall we do? We can't just leave him.
1: that we've got to go. There's more of them on the way. It worries me. Almost every park had at least a few triffids, though most of them would have had their stings docked. Then there are those that people kept for show, research labs. There could be hundreds of triffids around London. How
3: did they get loose so quickly? It's
1: almost as if they knew what had happened to
3: us. Don't. I don't want to think about it. Oh, God, look!
1: The street ahead of us was filled with people. They were coming towards us at a stumbling run, with their arms outstretched before them. The woman at the front tripped and fell. Others tumbled over her and she disappeared beneath a kicking, struggling heap. Beyond them, we had a glimpse of the cause of it all. Four triffids swaying over the panic-stricken heads.
3: Can't we do something to help them? It's horrible! There's
1: we can do. We've got to get out of here.
3: Did you see what that was? They were herding them. Yes.
1: That's why our first stop will be for triffid guns and masks. We gathered supplies, a change of clothes, and found a penthouse flat in Mayfair to hole up in for the night. The stylish, civilised interior took our minds off the events of the day.
2: This place is amazing! (sighs) how
1: the other half live?
3: Well, how do I look?
1: Great. You look beautiful. I didn't know you we were dressing for dinner.
3: I found them in the bedroom. This may be the last time I get to wear diamonds.
1: You're saying goodbye, aren't you?
3: So you do understand. I hoped you would. I think I
1: do. I'm glad you dressed up. It'd be a nice thing to remember.
3: Thank you, Bill. If you hadn't helped me when you
1: did oh, it, but for you, I'd probably be lying drunk in some bar somewhere by now. <laughs> I've got just as much to thank you for. And speaking of drink. Ah. <laughs> To us. To luck. And whatever the future holds.
3: Mm. Isn't there anyone you'd like to find?
1: Not really. My parents are dead.
3: No wife? Girlfriend?
1: No. You?
3: After I wrote my book, a lot of people came crawling out of the woodwork. But not many I'd call real friends.
1: After you wrote your book?
3: Sex is my adventure.
1: Of course. Gisela <laughs> Platton. I knew I'd heard that name before. Sex is my adventure. It was quite controversial, wasn't it? Did you
3: read it? No. Oh, thank goodness for that. <laughs> it was a storm in a teacup, really. Anything with sex in the title is bound to get people going, but it was quite harmless. The love life of a neurotic 20-something. And you made a fortune. Oh, yes. I was quite an it girl for a while. There was money and parties and oh, endless hangers-on.
1: Not a bad life, though.
3: No. It wasn't a bad life. Not so bad at all.
1: We ate by candlelight, watching the sun set over London. Fires were burning in several places. I realized that we were looking at the beginning of the end of a great city, and that around the world there were probably others witnessing the death throes of New York, Paris, Buenos Aires, Mumbai. It had happened before. Other great civilizations had disappeared and lay buried across the world. But I never thought that ours would be one of them. We'd better talk about what to do next.
3: Okay, shoot.
1: Okay, well, we've got to get out of London soon. When the water runs out, there'll be disease. The place will stink like a sewer, and with more and more bodies, it'll only get worse. Mm. Where do we go? Any ideas?
3: I think we need to find somewhere with a good water supply. And it's probably best to be as high up as we can.
1: Mm, I agree. The Lake District? No, too far. Wales, perhaps, or Cornwall?
3: What about the Sussex Downs? I've got a friend who's got a lovely old farmhouse near Pulborough. It's completely self-sufficient. There's a wind pump for water, and I think they make their own electricity.
1: Sounds promising, but it may be a little too close to town's.
3: Yes. On the other hand, we don't want to be too far from supplies.
1: Mm. Let's leave it till the morning. (coughs) We'll find a lorry and stock up on essentials, then we can make a final decision. Yes, yeah,
3: sleepy. <laughs> oh, and beautiful silk sheets are waiting for me. <laughs>
1: Good night, Gisella.
3: Good night.
1: I'll never see such a beautiful sight again.
3: Bill. Bill, wake up. Come quickly. There's a light.
1: <clears throat> what sort of a light?
3: Come over here to the window.
1: Looking out of her window, I could see a bright beam like that of a searchlight pointing unwaveringly upwards.
3: That means there must be somebody else out there who can see.
1: It must. It's, what, a couple of miles away? <sighs> it's too dangerous to go out now. We better leave it until tomorrow.
3: I'll mark the location on the glass. Bill? Yes? <laughs> I can't sleep. I'm frightened. Really frightened. Can you hear them? All those poor people. I can't stand it. Can I sleep in your bed? I don't want to be alone.
1: The next morning, we saw that the light must have come from the university tower. We decided to investigate as soon as we'd finished breakfast. There were fewer people about that morning. Most of them were now holding sticks or bits of broken wood with which they tapped their way along the curb.
3: You sure we're doing the right thing? I hope so. Bill, it looks like some kind of trouble at the university gates. It's not their fault they're blind, is it? It's
1: nobody's fault, but it's going to be yours. They all seem to be blind. Except for that man at the front with the red hair.
4: I've been showing them where to find food, but there's only one of me, and there's thousands of them. And what are you doing about it, eh? Sweet F.A. You'd rather shut yourself up in there and let them all starve? God almighty, aren't you people human? How long do you think the food's going to last? Well, how the hell should I know? But I'll tell you one thing, if you bastards don't come and help, there won't be many left alive by the time they come to clear this mess up. You're scared, aren't you? Hey? Scared to show them where the food is because the more they eat, the less there is for you. Oh, yeah. It's I'm all right, Jack, and to hell with everybody else.
5: Okay, okay, I'm good.
3: He was right, wasn't he?
1: Yes, he was. But wrong, too. No one's going to come and clear up this mess. I'm convinced of that now. We could show some people where there's food. We could do that for a few days, maybe for a few weeks. But what then?
3: It seems so heartless,
1: the economics of life and death. It's not easy. Either we can set out to save what can be saved from the wreckage, and that includes ourselves. Or we can try stretching out the lives of these people a little longer. And even then, if we could save a few, who are we going to choose and why?
3: I suppose you're right, but I don't like it.
1: Come on. It's all clear now.
3: Hello. We saw your signal last night.
1: Is it just the two of you? Yes.
5: Okay, come in. I'll take you to the Colonel.
6: Your names, please. Bill Mason. Uh,
3: Gisella Platon.
6: Now, your addresses and occupations, please. Given the situation, I don't think they'll be of much use. I'll decide what's useful. We've got to be organised, especially at a time like this. Fill in these forms and hand them in later, all right? Now, at the moment, there are 35 of us. We hope and expect that more will come in during the day. Out of those here, 28 can see. The others are wives and husbands and two or three children who cannot. We're planning to move out tomorrow at 1,200 hours, if we can be ready in time.
1: Mm.
6: I suggest you change your car for a lorry and load it up with food. What have you got so far?
1: Uh, practically nothing except a load of anti trifford gear.
6: Pretty odd thing to want at a time like this, isn't it?
1: One of them killed Gisela's father yesterday. Oh, I'm sorry. We saw another group of them forcing people down the street. I've worked with Triffitt and I'm worried that so many are on the loose with their stings intact.
6: Well, okay, We'll deal with that in due course. First, though, here's a list of what you should look out for and a map of your area. Cans and packets are your food line. Don't bother with sacks of flour, for example. There's another party working on that. Okay, okay, let's go, Bill. Excellent. Be back by seven. We're holding a meeting in the lecture hall.
1: We swapped our car for an empty lorry and took it to a warehouse where we loaded blankets, rugs, quilts, pots and pans and crates of food. Very few people were around. I stocked up with Triffid guns and ammunition before we returned to the university. We hadn't seen any of them all day. I suspected that to the Triffids a city was like a desert and that they would be moving out towards open country.
3: How do you think they got loose?
1: If they worry to stake hard enough and long enough, it'll usually give in the end. Have you ever used a Triffid gun? No. I'll show you after the meeting, if you like.
3: Okay. I still can't believe it's all going. The world doesn't just end like this.
1: I don't think it's ended just yet. As long as some of us are left strong and healthy, we've got a chance.
3: You know one of the most shocking things about it is to realize how easily we've lost a world that seems so safe and certain.
1: Mm, I don't know. well then if we want to hear what other people feel about this we'd better go in. Mm. <clears throat> there must be over a hundred people here. they're more blind than I thought there would
6: be. and more women than men. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. I'll introduce the survival committee you see behind me in due course. Uh, Many of us must still be feeling numbed by this catastrophe. The world we knew has ended in a flash. Some of us may be feeling that it is the end of everything. It is not. But to all of you, I will say at once that it can be the end of everything if we let it. The earth is still intact. It can provide us with food and raw materials. We've pinpointed a number of locations that we can use as a long-term base. We'll be looking for somewhere with access to water, farmland, good security, that sort of thing. We'll go into specifics later. What I'd first like to outline is not where we'll set up our community, but what kind of community it will be. Our first suggestion is a radical one, but it must be adopted if we're to stand any chance of surviving and rebuilding our society. We must be prepared to adapt to new laws and... Or to new morals. You may notice that there are more women than men amongst us. This is because we believe it is a priority that we increase our population of sighted people, or more precisely, of sighted children. There is one thing to be made quite clear to you before you decide to join our community. It is that those of us who start on this task will all have parts to play. The men must work. The women must have children. unless you can agree to that there can be no place for you in our community in our new world children become much more important than husbands (laughs) what's so funny
5: (laughs) people's expressions are you suggesting that the bonds of marriage no longer apply
6: if we're to build a new world and avoid anarchy we must have certain undertakings from those who wish to join us But there are
5: still laws which we must uphold. The laws of the church and of common decency. The
6: laws? The laws we know have been abolished by circumstances. It now falls to us to make new laws suitable to the conditions we find ourselves in and to enforce them, if necessary. Well, I, for
5: one, have no wish to be involved with such cynical ideas. No matter what brilliant theories you may put forward to explain them. Oh,
1: this is going to go on all night.
3: Come
7: on, let's get out of here.
3: How
1: many do you think will join up?
3: Nearly all of them by the morning. Shall we go
1: along? We.
3: Yes, we. Why not?
1: Gisella. Hmm? What the Colonel was saying... Would you consider having children with me?
3: Well... I'll consider it. But you'll have to share me, you know.
5: What do you mean? The old laws no longer apply. <laughs> I'll manage. No, <laughs> oh, I'm sure you will.
3: You know... All this has done something to me. It's like I'm seeing everything differently now. We're all going to have to be much closer to one another than before. More like a tribe, really. We've got a responsibility to each other and to those who... who haven't been as lucky as us. We've got to make the most of it. Look after each other and do all we can to rebuild and start again. Yeah.
1: Here, look what I found earlier.
7: Should we dance?
2: <laughs>
3: yes, let's dance. Let's yeah, dance to an unknown future and, and to a vanished past.
7: Why
1: should it be true? <clears throat> No, no. can Okay, what? Where? Nurse?
3: Bill.
7: <laughs>
3: Wake up! There's a fire.
7: Oh God!
4: It's him!
0: In part one of The Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham, Bill Mason was played by Jamie Glover, Gisella Platon by Tracy ann Oberman, the Colonel, Geoffrey Whitehead, and Walter Lucknow, Gavin Muir. Coker was played by Lee Ingleby, Miss Durant, Gichenda Carey, the nurse, Helen Ayres, the blind man, Jonathan Forbes, and young Bill, Oliver Cookson. Technical presentation was by Simon Moorcroft, Martha Little-Hales and Jonathan Glover. Original music was composed and performed by Simon Russell and the pianist was Simon Moorcroft. The Day of the Triffids was dramatised for radio by Lance Dan and directed for the BBC World Service... By Rosalind Ward. The Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham. Dramatized for radio by Lance Dan. Part 2. As I slipped
1: in and out of consciousness, I was aware of a dull ache in my head, and that my hands were tied behind my back. Then I heard a voice. And I was being shaken awake by the red-haired man I'd seen arguing with the colonel the day before. Come on, you. Oi! Come on, snap out of it! Come on, wake up!
4: What's happening? Open your eyes and look at me. Can you see me clearly? Yeah. Good. What's your name?
1: Bill. Bill Mason. (coughs) I know you, don't I... You were helping a group of blind people outside the university. That's right. And now you'll be helping some of them too. So there wasn't a fire?
4: I've been kidnapped, or should I say press ganged? No, no, there wasn't a fire. I just needed to flush out anyone who could see from that little bolt hole of yours. Who are you? My name's Coker. I'm in charge of things here. What happens now? Now you'll help those in need. If you won't, then you'll be forced to do so. Bill Mason, I'm assigning you to a party of 40 blind people who are your sole responsibility. You'll be working around Hampstead Heath. Your job is to find the food in that area and see that those in your party get it and anything else they need. Just keep them alive and out of harm's way until someone comes to clear this mess up. What if no one does? That's not your concern. And if I don't agree? You've got no choice. Now these two... We'll make sure that you stick around. Now, they may be blind, really? but they're oh, so... and they're not doing this for fun, so watch yeah, your step. Yeah, yeah. Now, you've got 15 feet of chain running from your wrist to theirs. That's the extent of your freedom. Make
1: the most of it. One thing. Did you capture a woman called Gisella Platon? Fair-haired, about five foot six or seven, grey blue eyes. I-, I need to get a message to her.
4: What do you think I'm running here, Mason? A dating service.
1: Later that day, I was driven over to Hampstead and left there with my two guards and about 40 men, women and children who couldn't see. The streets were empty, but for a few desperate souls tapping their way aimlessly along the gutters. I found an old hotel to use as our base, and then took the group out on the first scavenging expedition. I decided I'd have to stay a day or two just to get the party set up, before making my escape and finding Gisela. We worked systematically through the local stores. Little or nothing could go on without my being around to guide the group. I was too busy during the day to spend much thought on anything beyond the work in hand, and too tired at night to do anything but sleep the moment I lay down. Each day, it became more difficult, the food harder to find, and on the fifth day, three people fell sick with high temperatures and agonising stomach pains. I cursed Coker for putting me in this situation, but that didn't help me find a way to end it. Right, there are four shops in front of the to each team take a shot. Remember, collect anything that feels in one piece, and then give me a call on the walkie-talkies. I'll come and check on what you've got. And don't forget your team names, as I won't have a clue who you are. You got that? But okay, be careful. There are a few bodies lying around here. I don't want you adding to them. Okay. Yeah,
6: right. okay, what, careful. Yeah,
1: that, that's, that's a good wall. Stay on that wall. Feel all the way along to the left. Just right at the very end there, there's some uh, rotten stuff. You don't want that.
4: OK, Bill, red team here with the goods ready for inspection.
1: Over. Yeah, got that, red team. I'll be right over. Uh,
4: we'll be waiting for you out.
1: Hey, YouTube, go easy with that box. There's oil leaking from it. OK, let's go next door.
4: Bill, this is yellow team. We're under attack.
1: Yellow team, d- describe your situation. Who's attacking? I don't know.
5: There's something's missing out
7: then yeah, let's go help them. No, wait. What
5: are they? You're the <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a triffid attack. Bill,
8: where are you? All the people all around
1: me. Yeah, I'm coming. Do something. Then, then get these chains off. Why? There's nothing I can do if I'm shackled like this.
8: Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Release me. All right. Stay,
1: it's the green team. We're coming back. Stay where you are.
8: I'm
1: scared. Yeah, hang on. There's at least three outside the shop. We're going to have to leave by the back. OK, everyone, over here. Hold on to each other and form a line behind me. That's it, me. Don't panic. Calmly. Don't panic. Stay with me. Calmly,
4: don't panic.
1: The triffids forced us into the back room of the shop. But behind that, there was a yard that led to an alley. Both ends of the alleyway were blocked by Triffids, but as luck would have it, there was a large daimler parked in the yard, and somehow I got what was left of the group into it. Oh, Phil, what are they doing? They're nowhere i just going to have to drive through them. Okay, let's get out of here. The evening that followed was the worst I had spent since the night of the comet. Freed from my watchdogs, I took over a small room where I could be alone to think things through. The attack by the Triffids had shocked me deeply, but there was worse waiting for us when we returned. Three people had died, and five more had fallen sick. I had no idea what the disease could be. I began to question whether I had really helped my group. It seemed as if all I would achieved was to postpone starvation for a little while. And there was Gisella. The same sort of things, perhaps even worse, would be happening to her with her group, wherever they were. Who's that? What do you want?
2: Oh, it is you. You're going to leave, aren't you? I've never said that. No, but that's what the others are saying. And they're right, aren't they? You can't. You can't leave them like this. They need you. It's
1: just false hope.
2: But suppose help does come? It
1: won't. They'd have got here by now.
2: But suppose it does, and you'd simply walked out on us.
1: Do you think I haven't thought of that? I'm not doing any good here. I'm just putting off the inevitable.
2: Life is very precious, even now.
1: She stood staring at me from eyes that could not see me, and I felt a lump in my throat. She was young and beautiful. She should have had a wonderful life ahead of her.
2: I'm 18. It was my birthday on the day the comic came.
1: What do you want from me?
2: They they said perhaps you were lonely. I thought that perhaps if you had somebody... Oh, God. I mean, somebody here, you... You might not want to leave us. Perhaps you'd stay with us.
1: Stop it. Stop. Please go away now.
2: Bill? Are you crying?
1: Go away. For God's sake, go.
2: Sorry, Bill. I, I, I didn't mean to...
1: You can tell them I'll be staying. The first thing I was aware of the next morning was the smell. I'm not going to go into details about it, but it's something I'll never forget. It rose from every city and town for weeks. Then I noticed that the hotel was oddly quiet. Hello? Anybody there? There was no sound in the building. Hello? It felt as if history was repeating itself and I was back at the hospital again. Anybody there? Hello? Hello?
2: isn't it? it's me. don't come near Bill. I knew it was you. you can still walk. I'm glad Bill. I told them you wouldn't go like that but they said you had. now they've gone. all of them that could walk.
1: I was asleep. what happened?
2: they got frightened when more of us got sick.
1: how can I help you?
2: please Bill. I'm not brave. it it hurts. Could you get me
1: something, something to finish it? Yes. I can do that for you. I found her enough pills to end it and looked at her lying there. I wondered how many of us would have said, Take me with you, where she had said, Stay with us. And I never even knew her name. My one hope of finding Gisella was to return to the university building where we spent our last night together. As I drove across London, the deadness, the end of the city, became clearer to me. I passed the Houses of Parliament where the hands of Big Ben had stopped at three minutes past six. I was beginning to experience something new. The fear of being alone. Few people were in sight, and the streets were filled with bloated corpses, a testament to the rapid spread of disease and the deadly efficiency of the Triffids. Hello? Hello, is there anybody there? When I arrived at the university, I found half a dozen lorries drawn up in the forecourt, but the building was empty. It was only as I was about to leave that I noticed an inscription had been chalked on the front wall. In large letters, it simply gave an address... Tinsham Manor, Tinsham, Wiltshire. That was about a hundred miles from London. I found the lorry Gisella and I had loaded three days ago, the anti triffid equipment still on board, obviously surplus to the colonel's requirements. I grabbed a shotgun from the cab and took a last look at the city before night fell. I heard the triffid before I saw it. It had been lurking in the bushes. I heard another noise and spun round with my gun at the ready a man emerged from the shadows.
4: Hey, 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 hey,
1: you don't need to shoot. Coco, what are you doing here? Want me to join another of your parties?
4: No, no, I'm done with all of that. You can put the gun down. Makes too much noise anyway, that's how I found you. Ah, uh, My group's dead or dying. The disease spread like wildfire.
1: Same thing happened to mine. Probably the rest, too. What do you think it was? Beats me.
4: I thought typhoid at first, but someone said typhoid takes longer to develop. Yeah. I don't know why I haven't caught it myself. Except that I've been able to keep away from those that have caught it. And to see that what I was eating was
1: clean. I got it wrong. You certainly did.
4: I couldn't believe that that it would last or that some kind of help wouldn't show up. But now look at it. And it must be the same all over the world. The colonel had the right idea from the start. Do what you can with a small group. Any sign of him?
1: He's gone. All I could find inside is a message on the wall with an address in Tinsham. I'm just hoping it was him that left it. Look, uh Bill.
4: Bill. What do you say we call a truce? Work together. It would be better if there were two of us.
1: I suppose you're right. I'm going to Tinisham first, so if you want to come along, I'll be leaving with a truck in the morning.
4: The colonel won't be happy to see me, but perhaps it's our best hope.
1: Our only hope. If there's a possibility, shh, shh, shh. listen, listen. At least it shows someone's still alive. Come on. Let's get some sleep.
4: It's good to believe in London. And yonder all before us lie deserts of vast eternity. What? Or do you prefer Shelley? My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair.
1: Coco, what are you? One minute you are a fighter for the people, the next you're quoting Marvell. I've
4: never really known what I am. You could say I've learned to be adaptable. As a kid I enjoyed a bit of confrontation. When I left school, I was anti-everything. I used to go to political meetings and join protest groups, more or less anything, as long as they were protesting against it. But now I've learned to play the game from both sides. I'm equally comfortable leading marches and waving placards, or doing a bit of journalism, shaking the right people's hands. I even got on TV a bit. You should have been a politician. I might still become one. I hope we the last of them. So where were you, the United Comet? I was lucky there, though I didn't think it at the time. I got into a bit of trouble at the anti-globalisation protest outside the Houses of Parliament. Had to go to a safe house to hide from the police. Spent the entire night asleep in a mate's basement. In the morning, I looked round and found that all this had happened. Still, let's look ahead. Tomorrow, to fresh fields and pastures new, if you'd care for a really hackneyed quotation. It's woods, not fields. Whatever you say.
1: As we drove, I began to feel the lightning of spirit that Coco was showing. The sight of the open country gave me a sense of hope. It might never again look as trim and neat as it did that day, but for all that, it would go on. Not like the towns, sterile and stopped forever. Even the sight of occasional groups of triffids swaying across a field or of others resting with their roots dug into the soil failed to spoil my mood. It was early evening when we arrived at Tinsham and turned up a narrow lane towards the manor. It was a large country house with high walls and armed guards at its gates.
6: Where are you from, and how many of you?
1: Just the two. We were part of the Colonel's party in London and found the address he left.
6: Oh, you with the Colonel, eh? Mm. Well, drive up to the front of the house. Must Durrant will meet you there
1: not much of a
4: security check
1: interesting you won't know Ms. Durrant, will you? she started up an argument with the colonel back at the university the night before your raid took offence at his plans for the group he wanted the women to have as many children as possible to increase the sighted population not all necessarily with the same partner I can see the benefits of such a plan (laughs) I bet you can Miss Durrant couldn't. She kicked up a hell of a fuss about the sanctity of marriage and all that. I wonder why we're meeting her.
5: And this gentleman is the kitchen. Like the rest of the manor, it's excellently equipped. At the moment, we're having to use open fires for the cooking. We'll be serving supper shortly.
1: When are we likely to see the colonel, Miss Durrant?
5: colonel's gone elsewhere. This is a clean, decent community with standards and we intend to uphold them. Where did he go? He headed south, to the coast, I believe. After Mr. Coker's ill-conceived raid, the colonel and I agreed to disagree, and he left with his followers. I took charge of those who remained and led the group to Tinsham. When we arrived, we found three of the staff dead in this kitchen and a triffid waiting outside the door. There were more over by the farm buildings. I took it upon myself to break into the gunroom and then go out into the grounds and shoot the top off every trifford I could find. There were 26 of the beastly plants on the estate alone. Goodness knows how many in the village. How many people do you have here? Well, there are 60 here at the moment. A lot of them came from the local village. We gathered all the survivors we could find soon after we arrived and brought them up here. And how many sighted people? Five at the moment. Only five? Yes. That's why I wanted to talk to you. Mr. Coker... What skills can you offer us? I can
4: offer a number of things. I suggest I take a look around to see where i have been needed. Look around
1: if you must. One thing, is there a woman called Gisella Platon here, late 20s, blonde?
5: Gisella Platon?
1: No, no, I'm afraid I can't help you
5: there. Now, we'll eat first and then we can meet again later this evening.
1: We helped where we could with the meal and enjoyed our first properly cooked food in days. Afterwards, Koker set off on his tour of the grounds, whilst I joined a sighted woman named Cheryl in the main hall, hoping for some news of Gisella.
2: Sex is my adventure? I don't think someone who wrote a book like that is the type of person we'd have here in Tintium.
1: It was quite harmless, really, and just a bit of fun. Gisella hated all the controversy it caused.
2: Well, what did she expect? Anyway, I haven't seen her here. It gets very dark at night, doesn't it? I can barely see my sewing.
1: you have to get used to it. It's the way it's going to be from now on.
2: It can't be as bad as all that. The Americans will come and sort this out.
1: Why should they have fared any better than us? They're probably in the same mess as we are, if not worse.
2: I'm sure they'll be here before Christmas. Listen,
1: let's just try to imagine a world in which there aren't any Americans who will help us.
2: Oh, 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 the lights! Someone must have fixed the generator.
1: Coca,
4: I take it these lights are your work? There's a generator in the basement. I thought we may as well use up the fuel as let it evaporate.
2: Do you mean to say we could have had lights all the time we've been here?
4: Yes, if you'd bothered to start the generator. Instead, you just sat in the dark. How long do you think you're likely to survive if you just go on sitting in the dark when things need doing? It's
2: not my fault. I'm just not good at things like that.
4: Well, you'd better learn to be good at things like that. There's no one here to help you anymore. From now on, ignorance is a very dangerous thing. We've all got to be prepared to get our hands dirty and to start understanding how and why things work, whether we're interested in them or not.
2: Excuse me, gentlemen. I don't think we have anything more to say to each other.
1: I hadn't realised the extent to which I counted on finding Gisella at Tinsham. I now had to assume that she was with the Colonel and had headed south, though she could have fallen victim to the disease that had spread through London. I try not to let myself consider that possibility. I had to find the colonel, and if Gisella wasn't with him, then I would go on searching. Coker had finished his survey of Tinisham and was feeling quite positive. He had found that the manor had some livestock left, as well as fresh water and good supplies of feed for both animals and humans. There were prospects for the whole setup, if it was properly managed, and more sighted people could be recruited. Miss Durant
4: If I can be frank with you, I think you want help. Your group needs it badly and I'm willing to offer it to you. Really, Mr. Coker, we're quite capable of looking after ourselves here. I know. But what you have to do is look ahead, a long way ahead. There won't always be stores of food. A lot of it won't keep. We're going to have to grow crops for ourselves. We'll have to plough the land out there around the manor. Later we'll have to learn how to make ploughs. Later still we'll have to learn how to smelt iron to make the ploughs. We're on a road that will take us back and back until everything we have now is gone. And then we'll have to start again and try and claw our way back up. I don't think I could cope with a life like that. Believe me, this is the life we're all facing. But it's not all bad. We've got knowledge, books, and with enough people, we can really begin to change things. But we need more people. There are enough people here as it is. No, there aren't. It'll only get worse. And with the community you have here, things will only get harder and you won't be able to keep going. But with a proper balance of those who can see and those who can't, we'll be able to look after the land and spare enough people to study. All the information we need is out
5: there if we take the trouble to find it. Well, your ideas are very interesting, Mr. Coker. And at least they're not as amoral as the colonel's.
4: May I suggest that you call a meeting of the whole community tomorrow morning? Let me explain my views, and then I'll leave you all to decide as what to do next. Yes, well, I think that could
5: be very helpful. And you, Mr Mason?
1: I wish you luck, but I can't stay. So you're going to carry on looking for the Colonel? Well, it's Gisela I'm looking for, really.
4: Oh, Gisella, of course.
1: I'm going to leave in the morning.
4: Well, give her my apologies for everything when you find her. I will, when I find her.
1: I headed south hoping to find signs of the colonel's party, but to no avail. Farms were becoming unpleasant places to pass closely. In more than one farmyard, a triffid had enthroned itself, killing any livestock that wandered into its reach, and then sitting amongst the rotting corpses, waiting for the flesh to reach the right stage of putrescence. Now I was really on my own, I could not shut out the sense of loneliness, and several times I thought of returning to Tinsham. At one point, as I drove through the new forest, I spotted a helicopter flying overhead. But by ill luck, the trees grew close to the side of the road, and my lorry was hidden from the air. By the time I was on to an open road, it was no more than a speck in the distance. One evening, as I drove through the outskirts of a picturesque village... A small figure bounded out of some garden gates and came running up the road towards me, waving both arms. It was a young girl, her hair unkempt and her face dirtied with tears. I stopped and quickly stepped out of the cab.
8: Please, please, come and see what's happened to Tommy. Who's Tommy? He's my little brother. He's only four. My name's Susan and I'm ten.
1: Well, I'm Bill. Where's Tommy? Tommy.
8: He's in the garden. That's my house over there.
1: Now, Susan, take my hand and we'll go find him. Where are your Mummy and Daddy?
8: Oh, they went out a long time ago and they haven't got back yet. They said we should stay inside the house, but we got hungry and ate all the biscuits. Mum will be mad when she finds out. Tommy's there. We stayed inside, we really did, but Tommy wanted to go out and play in the garden. The thing hit him. It hit him and he fell down. And it wanted to hit me when I tried to help him. What thing? (coughs) Dad!
1: Susan, lie on the ground.
8: But I'm scared. (coughs) Did you get it?
1: Stay very quiet, like a mouse. Stay as close to the ground as you can.
8: Can it see us?
1: No, but it can find us. I'm going to stand up. You stay there, okay?
8: Okay. Is it dead? It is now. And is Tommy dead, too?
1: I'm sorry, Susan. But he is.
8: Poor Tommy. Will we bury him like the puppies?
1: Yes. In the morning. When it's light. We took him inside and buried him the next day. In all the overwhelming disaster, that was the only grave I dug. And it was a very small one. Susan gathered a little bunch of flowers and laid them on top of it.
8: Ow! Bill, you're hurting my hair! Sorry,
1: Susan, but it's all tangled. I'll make you look pretty again.
8: I don't want to look pretty. Yes,
1: you do do you want to help me look for a pretty lady?
8: is she your girlfriend?
1: well, sort of.
8: so where is she?
1: I don't know. that's why we got to look for her.
8: like (laughs) hide-and-seek? kind of. when I play hide-and-seek with Tommy I always know where he's going to hide because he always hides in the same places. (laughs) so where does this lady like to hide? well... did you talk about it?
1: I suppose we did. We had dinner together and we talked about where we'd live. Somewhere with water, away from the cities and... The Sussex Downs! The Downs. She's got friends in Pawborough and she was going to stay in their house. Oh, Susan, thank you, thank you, thank you!
8: What are you so excited about? That was easy.
1: (laughs) I drove into Sussex later that day, but by the evening we had seen little evidence of human life let alone Gisella's hideaway. We parked on a high ridge as warm evening rain began to fall and studied the rolling hills of the Downs. Well, you know she must be over that way somewhere.
8: That's miles and miles. And
1: we'll turn the lights on. If we can't see her, maybe she can see us.
8: What are you doing?
1: Flashing the lights. To say SOS in code. SOS? Enough questions. Now you curl up and get some sleep. I'll keep a watch out. The time crept by. The rain fell and the rhythm of the lights began to lull me into a hypnotic slumber. My eyes were slowly sinking, becoming heavier when...
8: Bill, there's a light! You're right. It's flashing.
1: Yes. Oh, yes.
8: Is it the lady?
1: It's got to be. It simply has to be. As we drove, Susan excitedly kept watch on the light whilst I followed the rain-sodden roads. Eventually, we climbed a long, winding track until, at last, we saw a lantern waving in the road ahead. I drove to within a yard or two of it and then threw open the cab door.
3: Hello, Bill. You've been a long time. Gisella. Oh, Bill, I
8: can't... Oh. oh, I've been hoping so much. Oh, Bill! Oh. Getting wet, you silly...
3: Is she asleep?
1: At last. Exhausted but excited.
3: Come and sit by me. Warm yourself.
1: (laughs) Where are your friends? The people who own this place?
3: Joan and Ted. Mm, They weren't here when I arrived. God help them. I'm sorry. I tried to find you in London, you know.
1: And are you? Thought you might have been back at the university.
3: I almost made it there, but I heard a shot and thought it probably meant more trouble, so I left.
1: That was me getting rid of a triffid. I I heard you drive away. We were so close.
3: Well, you're here now.
1: (laughs) What happened to you in London?
3: Mm, Coca sent me and my charges to Westminster. The first thing I did was to tell them that I wasn't going to be chained to anyone, otherwise they might find themselves drinking acid or eating poison. They freed me, and I helped them as much as I could until the disease started eating away at them. I came straight here. This place is better set up than I remember. It's got a well, solar power, chickens. Since then, I've been trying to prepare the place for the future. I was going to plant crops, stockpile supplies. It's been difficult, though. It seems that there are more triffids coming here every day.
1: They've been a problem.
3: I got rid of them with a shotgun at first, but in the end it was easier to throw petrol over them and set them on fire. But each morning they're back. It's as if they know I'm
2: here.
1: Well, we've got terrific guns now and we can put up a fence around the place to keep them out.
3: Mm. So, you're planning on staying, are you?
1: If you'll let me. (laughs) You should do us for some time. You, me and Susan.
3: Quite the little family unit.
1: Does that trouble you?
3: It's funny. I never wanted to get married. But now, now it seems the simplest thing in the whole world.
1: So we're married.
3: I suppose, in a way, we are.
1: Then this is our wedding night.
3: Yes, I suppose this is.
1: The area was more beset with Triffids than any other I had seen, and the first task was to erect a fence of heavy mesh around the land to keep them at bay. Even then, they would come right up to it and loiter against it, until they were dispatched with the Triffid gun. Gisella and I had to learn the basics of farming. It's not the kind of thing that's easily learned from books. All the manuals I could find were written for people who had at least a basic knowledge and were not beginning from absolute zero. They used terms that were foreign to us and assumed we had access to materials and equipment which had become unavailable. Luckily, we had enough food to be able to take our time and make mistakes. And there was happiness of a kind as the work drew us closer. It was Susan's task each morning to rip up any triffid seedlings found growing inside the fence, but all the while, more and more were gathering on the outside.
3: There seems to be a lot more of them lately.
8: He brings them. Don't
1: point, Susan. What do you mean, I bring them?
8: It's when you're working and you're noisy. They hear you and come over to find you. Fire your gun and see what they do.
1: OK. Cover your ears. Sure enough, when I scoured the fields outside the fence with a pair of binoculars, I found several triffids lurching in our direction, whilst those at the fence had become agitated and pressed up against the wire.
8: See? They're trying to find you. Do you spend a
2: lot of time watching the triffids, Susan? I always watch them. I hate them.
1: Their numbers grew. We used triffid guns against them, but our ammunition ran out. We used pesticides, but they were immune. We electrified the fence, but they learned to avoid it when the power generator was running. In hordes, they pressed against the fence, filling the night with their incessant drumming. They didn't try anything or do anything. They simply settled down, sunk their roots into the soil and waited.
3: I don't like it. There's more to them than we think. They started to break loose the moment there was no one to stop them. How did they know? They've been around this house from the day I got here. How do you account for that?
1: Oh, I know. They took advantage of our disadvantages with remarkable speed. It's like there's some kind of method in their actions at the moment. Confirms everything Walter Lutnor thought about them.
7: They may not have a brain but there's certainly intelligence there of a kind. Have you noticed that when they attack, they almost always go for the head? If you look at the statistics of casualties, most people have been stung across the eyes and blinded.
1: It's very significant.
3: A method? What do you
1: want about? They're like insects, in a way. They don't bother about themselves, only the species matters. No individual understands why it keeps hanging around our fence, but the whole lot together do. They just seem to be... Waiting for the moment.
3: Yeah. Waiting for what?
1: In the autumn, I took the risk of travelling to London in the hope of finding flamethrowers. The trip was a success, but seeing the city greying and crumbling left me deeply depressed. As I stood in Piccadilly Circus again, looking around at the desolation, all the lights and noise seemed so distant... It was like visiting the relic of an ancient civilization, the like of which we would never see again. Susan and I constructed a rattling noisemaker made out of an old bicycle to draw the Triffids into an enclosure before turning the flamethrowers on them. It worked at first, but their numbers were barely touched, and they soon learned to ignore the machine. And so the siege continued...
8: Bill, Gisella, wake up, Susan. you've got to wake up Susan, what time is it? The things have broken in, get up, get up Who's broken in?
1: Triffids, they surrounded the house
8: The flamethrowers
1: They're in the cattle shed
5: oh.
1: uh, Okay, yes, Susan, uh, stay upstairs okay. I'll get as much protective equipment as I can and deal with them But Bill, there are hundreds out there It's okay, just, just stay calm I just have to do this at work. Uh, I'll wear goggles. Mesh, Padding. I'll, I'll be safe. Are you sure? Of course I am. Of course I wasn't. Even with the best protective equipment, walking into the midst of hundreds of triffids was foolhardy to say the least. By the time I reached the cattle shed, I was broken with poison. And even when I blasted a flamethrower at them, they carried on crushing against the house.
7: Get over! Get the fire extinguishers! Throw them down from the windows so I don't set a place on fire! Bill, there's two
5: behind
3: you! Ugh. The
5: wood pile's on fire! I can't put it out! Let it burn! What it new burn!
3: Shouldn't we put the wood stack out? Leave
1: it. The house is safe and the fire will keep the trivets back for a while. How did they get through the fence? I've never seen anything like it before. It looks like they crashed up against it en masse until it broke down. The ones at the front were sacrificed so the rest could get in.
3: We don't stand a chance, do we?
1: Let's get the fence back up and then we'll talk. How's Susan?
3: She's shaken, but she's okay. I think she wants to leave. Do you? Let's talk later. don't go too far away I won't okay sweetheart just make sure we can see you
1: she'll be fine Tiffis won't get near seawater and this beach is protected by cliffs
3: I'm glad we could get away from the house I've been wanting to talk with you for a few days now
1: me too Mm. look at the gulls (laughs) do you think there are more than before all this happened
3: hmm I wonder about that sometimes the countryside looks so green and healthy the air seems cleaner. it's as if nature's rejoicing that we're finished and have stopped mucking up the planet. do you think we really are finished Bill?
1: not quite. where there's life there's hope.
3: life. well there's gonna be more of that. Bill. hmm? Bill I think I'm pregnant. Oh, that's wonderful. I wasn't going to say anything until I was sure, but after today and the Triffids, I just thought you should know. Oh,
2: sweetheart, I'm so happy.
3: <laughs> I am too, but I'm worried. What kind of world is this to bring a child into?
1: It's not all over.
3: Yeah, but the Triffids, aren't they? are they going to take the world from us, or can we stop them?
1: We can hold them off for a while. We've got to find some way of killing them for good. Man created this whole situation, so man's got to find a way out of it.
3: What do you mean? I know you think the triffids came from scientists messing about with nature, but the comet, that wasn't our fault. It was like a hurricane or an earthquake, an act of
1: God. I don't think it was a comet. Gisela, up there, orbiting this planet, there were, maybe still are, hundreds of satellites and weapons of mass destruction circling round and round the Earth. What was in them? You don't know. I don't know. One could have been built to emit radiation that would harm our eyes, something that would burn out or at least damage the optic nerve. Imagine if there was some kind of mistake. An accident which sets one of these satellites or weapons off. Instead of focusing its radiation on a particular target, it goes off in space. And when it hits the atmosphere, the whole world gets to see it. I think the comet was just a cover story. We don't know exactly what happened, but I'm certain we brought this on ourselves. And there was that plague in London. It wasn't typhoid, you know.
3: Well, when you put it that way, if it was like that, then it's at least something that can be prevented from happening again. But what shall we do, Bill? We can't stay here.
1: I know. After today, I've realised that. We could keep the Triffids out for years, but we'd just be imprisoned, fighting for our survival as food ran out and our tools broke. Mm. Oh. God, I'm sorry so depressing you're pregnant and we should be celebrating don't worry
3: we're just being realistic look we'll have to pack up and move on better now than before the winter sets in but where
1: we could go back to tinsham mm. see what's happening to coker maybe we should head for the southwest mm. let's think about it
3: i'll be sad to say goodbye to all this even though it seemed like a prison at times we've been happy here
1: i know I've never felt more alive. We'll have better times yet, I promise you. All four of us. Shh! Bill, Gisella, it's
8: a helicopter! Over here. Over, Over, here. Here. Over here! Over here! Over here! Bill, it's seen us!
1: It's landing! Oh my god, it's landing! Colonel, you couldn't have arrived at a
6: better time. Bill Mason, you're just the man we've been looking for. Miss Playton, I believe, and young lady, you are? I'm Caesar. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh,
1: how did you find us?
6: Well, we regularly fly over the southeast trying to find survivors. We saw the fire on your farm.
1: The, the woodstock. We had a Triffid break in.
6: So
3: where have you come from? Bill was told you were in the south. Who by?
1: Miss Darren,
6: the Of course. Well, I'm afraid the community at Tinsham isn't there anymore. From what we found, they were driven out by the disease. Also, I think you were deliberately misled. When we left the university, we actually headed for Oxford. God, if I'd known. We were based in a manor house there for only a few weeks, but it quickly became overrun with trippies. It seems I owe you an apology, Mason. You were the only one who foresaw the risk presented.
1: Even I didn't think it would be this bad.
6: Now we've moved on to the Isle of Wight. Water gives us an excellent line of defense. When we arrived, there seemed to be more tripids than in Oxford, and no sooner had we settled than they began to collect at the walls of our base. We used flamethrowers on them, but it took weeks to clear the area. Since then, we've been hunting them down across the island and ripping up any seedlings we find growing. It's constant work. That's why I'm so glad to have found you. You're a biochemist, aren't you?
1: Bi- biologist with a little biochemistry.
6: No matter. You know more about the tripids than the rest of us put together. The point is, we want to begin researching a way of getting rid of them permanently. We have to find a way of destroying them. Otherwise, there's not going to be much hope for any of us. Come on, Bill, what do you think? Like to turn professor?
1: I can't think of anything that will be more worthwhile. Good.
6: I must inform you that the principles I spoke of at the university still stand... Uh, We aren't out to reconstruct. We want to build something new and better. If people don't like it, then they can move on.
1: How many of you are there?
6: Nearly 200, growing by the week. So, what do you think? Well, yes. Desella? I I think it sounds great. It'll be the best thing for all of us if we joined you. Then you better prepare yourselves to move out. Get a truck loaded and be ready by midday tomorrow. Uh, We'll drop a man off who can guide you to our base. Good to see you again, Bill. And you too, Susan. I don't think any of you will regret it. No, Colonel, I'm sure we won't. And thank you. Thank
1: you. What the hell is that? It looks like some sort of tank. What's he doing outside our house?
4: Okay, you men take the outhouses. You two, search the perimeter. If you find anyone here, bring them back to me immediately. Coker! Coker, it's Bill! You're alive! This is wonderful! Bill Mason! We meet again. We heard about Tynesham. Ah, did you indeed. Well, things have changed since then. And the much-talked-about Gisella (laughs) Platon. And the child. Well, you have been busy, Bill. Serve you by the look of it, Coker. Who are all these men? It's Commander Coker now, and these are my troops. They're taking a survey of your facilities. Troops? As I said, Bill, things have moved on. After disease forced us out of Tinsham, I set up operations in Brighton and have built up a powerful mobile force with control over most of the southeast of the country. We've been running convoys from other towns for supplies, but as you may know, the roads are becoming impassable, so. We're having to disperse and set up units across the south.
1: Yeah, well, you seem to have done quite nicely out of it all. Haven't
4: you? So have you, Bill. This is a good place you've got here. It could be useful. What for? I'm allocating you 20 blind persons <sighs> who are your responsibility to feed, house and clothe. Not this again. You're
3: not seriously suggesting that 20 people can live off this land?
4: Of course. They'll have to eat cattle feed and sleep in the sheds, but they'll be grateful. Face it. If it weren't for us, none of them would be alive at all. It's up to them to do what we tell them, take what we give them, and be thankful for whatever they get. But
1: 20 people, as well as Susan and Gisella's pregnant. Children won't be your concern.
4: All miners will be taken to Brighton and educated centrally. You've got to be joking. This is no time for sentimentality. Think about it, Mason. You'll have to lower your standards for a while, but one day people will be working for you. You'll be the head of a clan within 20 years.
1: Like an ancient feudal overlord.
4: Now you're beginning to
1: understand. I'll have to have time to think it over. Bill! It's quite a new idea to me. Some points come to mind at once. We'll need new equipment, maybe horses. We'll supply what we can. I'll have an answer for you tonight. Excellent.
4: We'll drink on it. I hope so. Now, I'd like to take an inventory of your supplies and equipment.
1: Susan, will you show my friend around the farm?
8: I don't want to.
1: Go on, sweetheart. They won't hurt you. Show them how we killed all the Triffids.
8: All right, then. Come
1: on, mister. Bill, how could you? Don't worry. I'm buying time. So Coco just wanted power after all. Well, that's not what I want.
3: Then you're not. Of course not.
1: Tonight, let's lay a party on for them, get some old tapes, feed them, charm them, and make sure they drink. A lot.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm in command of everything, Bill Supreme, authority and legislative power over the entire council <laughs> I also control the armed forces Armed forces? Oh, yes Got ourselves quite a little army. got to protect our land in case of attack From what? Triffids? No, not just then I reckon we've got bigger problems on the horizon <laughs> This happened all over the world, you know, chaos Everywhere so, if you think about it, there must be more groups like ours all over the place. We can't allow someone else to come in and take over. We've got to protect ourselves and maybe take the fight to them before they have a chance. I'm going to go make sure Susan's in bed.
3: All right, Bill. Good. So you're talking about starting a war.
1: I picked up a large jar of honey and hurried into the yard making for Coker's vehicle. There I removed the petrol cap and poured the honey into the tank. I then went back and rejoined the party until it finally broke up in an atmosphere of drunken goodwill. Three hours later, I led Gisella and a sleepy Susan out into the moonlight. We crept over to our truck and carefully climbed inside.
8: Are the men all asleep? Fast asleep. Will they be angry? Shh, now. Ready,
3: Bill?
1: Ready. Here goes.
4: Oh, beauty! Let's go. Duck,
1: everyone. We're going to hit the gates. We plunged forward in a shower of wire netting and broken timbers, knocking down a dozen triffids as they crowded towards the gates. Then we were on our way.
8: Lift Daddy Bill, the men.
5: They're
8: going
1: into their tank. Gisela, what are they doing?
5: They've got inside it. I can see Coca. Then it started. They're moving. Oh, hell. <gasps> oh, wait.
3: Wait. Oh, they've stopped. Oh, they're not moving. Don't look round. Keep watching the road, though. Coco's getting out. He's shouting something. Oh, the Triffids are in through the gate. The men are trying to run.
2: Oh, my God. Hide your eyes, Susan. Don't watch.
1: And here, my personal story joins with the rest. Our hopes all centre here, on the Isle of Wight, and on our work. Coker's feudal plans seem to have failed. There are a few militaristic clans left on the mainland, leading a life of squalid wretchedness behind their stockades. But there are not so many of them as there used to be. Every now and then, we hear reports that another has been overrun, and that the Triffids which surrounded it have dispersed to join other sieges. The task ahead is ours alone. We think now that we can see the way, but there is still a lot of work and research to be done. One day, perhaps not in my lifetime, a way will be found to defeat the Triffids. We will keep fighting until we have wiped the last one of them from the face of the land that they have usurped. But that will be your story.
0: part two of The Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham, Bill Mason was played by Jamie Glover, Gisella Platon by Tracy Ann Oberman, Coker, Lee Ingleby, and The Colonel by Geoffrey Whitehead. Miss <laughs> Durrant was played by Richenda Carey, The Blind Girl, Helen Ayres... Susan, Lucy Trickett, Yellow Team Leader, Jonathan Forbes, and Bill's guard, Gavin Muir. Technical presentation was by Simon Moorcroft, Martha Little Hales, and Jonathan Glover. Original music was composed and performed by Simon Russell. The Day of the Triffids was dramatised for radio by Lance Dan and directed for the BBC World Service by Rosalind Ward.